You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. You've got tough questions. We'll try to give you easy answers. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. This is Theology for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Kenny Ortiz, coming at you from beautiful Minneapolis, Minnesota. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. I am so grateful for all of you uh, loyal listeners, those of you who download regularly, you listen regularly, and you allow me and this show to have a voice in your life. I am so grateful uh, for all of you. Uh, This is episode 259, and by the way, the number 259 is special to me, and I'll explain that in a second. This is episode 259, and I'm going to bring you an interview that I had a chance to do with a man by the name of... Dr. Jack Collins, and let me be frank with you, this is a big get for the podcast. I mean, the fact that I was able to get Dr. Collins on the show is a big, big deal, and you will soon understand why. Um, Over the last several episodes, I have been in this series talking about things like creation, evolution, naturalism, uh, age of the earth, uh, age of the universe, origin of species, things of that nature, how to understand and interpret Genesis chapter 1 and all the related topics as well as the worldviews and ideologies and conclusions that are birthed from these sorts of subjects and topics. Uh, I'm going to be winding down this series in the next few episodes. I'm only going to just do a few more episodes uh, related to this topic, but I am really excited that before I wind down this series, uh, that, that it will include an interview with Dr. Jack Collins. Dr. Collins is a well-known author and Bible scholar, a brilliant man. Uh, you are going to learn a lot from him in this interview. I am really excited to bring it to you. Before we get to that, before I tell you about Dr. Collins, uh, I want to just make quick mention about the number 259 and why that number is important to me. Uh, you see, I graduated from Central High School in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, which is the second oldest public high school in the United States and is one of the most well-respected high schools, um, not just in the city of Philadelphia and in Pennsylvania, but actually nationally. It is a, an academic magnet school, uh, very rigorous, really well-respected. A lot of my classmates went on to Ivy League schools. Uh, I did not go on to an Ivy League school uh, right out of high school, of course, but uh, but many of my classmates did. Um, and the reason why the, the number 259 matters is because um, no one ever went by the year. You know, like in a lot of places, there was a lot of schools, they'll say, oh, I'm class of, you know, 2000, class of 2005 or 96 or whatever. Well, Central, we never did that. We never mentioned we were the class of whatever. Even though I graduated in 2000, I would have never said I'm the class of 2000. I would say I am class 259. And the reason is because I was a part of the 259th graduating class of Central High School. Uh, the high school you know, was launched back in the early 1800s, but for the first 100 years of its, of its existence uh, or so, it graduated two classes a year. Um, and then at some point in the mid-1900s, they went to graduating only one class per year. So I had the absolute privilege and honor of graduating as a part of the 259th class to graduate from Central High School. And all alumni of our high school know that you would never say your class year, you would say your class number. So in my case, 259. Anytime in my adult life when I run into someone who went to Central, all we do is say the number. 
Uh, I remember I was at a gym working out in my early 20s. I saw a guy wearing a Central High School t-shirt. Uh, I walked up to him. I just pointed. I didn't say anything except I just I pointed right at him and I said, I'm 259. And he looked at me and said, 218. And I we, we knew that was an entire conversation. And so the the, the number is, is special to me in that regard. I did the same. I, I was uh, at a, a Rubio's, a fish taco place in San Diego many years ago. I was talking to, I ran into a gentleman there. He was wearing a Philadelphia Eagles jersey. Went, oh, you from Philly? He said, yeah. Oh, where would you, where'd you go to high school? He said, I, I went to Central. And I looked at him and I said, 259. And he looked back at me and said, 236. It seemed as if nothing else needed to be said in that conversation. And I've had dozens of those types of interactions whenever I run into uh, uh, alumni from Central High School. So the class number is a big deal to all Central alumni and my class number a big deal to me. I fully recognize that this has absolutely nothing to do with this interview or this podcast episode and nothing to do with uh, theology or the series that I'm in or anything related to it whatsoever. However, I couldn't help but take a moment out to tell you about why the number 259 is special to me. I know many of you are regular listeners and I correspond with many of you and I count many of you as friends. And so I figured since this is important to me, I figured I'd share it with all of you out there. For those of you who don't care, I hope at minimum you got a little bit of a chuckle out of it. Okay, let's get to the important stuff. Um, I had a chance to interview Dr. Jack Collins. Uh, Dr. Collins is a a world-renowned Bible scholar and author. He has written uh, many books and contributed to several projects. Um, he is a, a really well-respected scholar. He was the uh, one of the primary editors for the ESV Study Bible. Yes, the ESV Study Bible, uh, which, by the way, if you do not have a good study Bible, I would highly encourage you to pick that up. It's a great resource. Um, but he is, again, a world-renowned uh, author, lecturer, speaker, scholar, uh, particularly on topics uh, related to the Old Testament. And in this particular interview, we're going to talk about Adam, um, Adam and Eve, the literal Adam, and why we should believe in a literal Adam and why it matters uh, to modern evangelical Christians that there was indeed a human, a human man named Adam, that every human being uh, in, you know, on planet Earth today are all descendants of Adam and, and, his, uh, and his mate Eve. And so uh, I'm really, really excited to bring you this interview. I think you're going to learn a lot. I think it's going to be really, really helpful. And again, Dr. Collins, just a brilliant man that you're going to learn quite a bit from. So without further ado, my interview with Jack Collins. We are on the line with uh, Dr. Jack Collins from the great city of St. Louis. Dr. Collins, thank you for joining the show. How are you feeling today, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, really, really excited to have you. As the audience knows, we've been in this series. We're talking about the book of Genesis and all kind of the topics related to that. And so you've done quite a bit of work related to uh, all things book of Genesis, specifically Adam and Eve. We'll get to that in just a second. So before we dive in, I would love the audience just to hear from you a little bit about yourself, just personally who you are and how you ended up to what you know uh, where you're at today. Sure. Well, I've uh, been teaching at Covenant Seminary in the uh, Old Testament department for uh, more than 25 years now. Uh, before uh, coming here to teach, I was a, a church planter in Spokane, Washington. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and uh, back many, many years ago, I uh, graduated from MIT in engineering, and I, and I was a research engineer in the Boston area for several years. Then I went to seminary, uh, 
then I went for my PhD, and then I went on to Spokane to do the church planting. Uh, and um, so I have a number of interests, especially uh, Hebrew grammar. That's uh, the, that's the main thing that I study. But uh, be- because of my background, of course, I have an interest in science and faith type issues as well. Uh, I absolutely love it. Um, I, I appreciate as well that anytime I can bring someone on and have a conversation and know that, hey, this person has, isn't just reading um, they, this person has been well studied and obviously educated because sometimes I feel like we get um, from the antagonistic atheist type of person, they, they will lob, you know, lob bombs at the Christians saying, oh, you right. guys aren't really educated. But that's not the case with you, obviously. And so really, really, really excited to have you. Um, also, you you have the privilege of working on a variety of other projects as well. You want to give us just a, just a quick synopsis, of maybe some of the other projects you've worked on? Sure. Uh, well, I, I was uh, part of the translation team for the ESV. I was the Old Testament chairman, um, and I guess I still am because uh, the, the uh, publisher does ongoing maintenance for the translation. Plus, then uh, a little bit later, uh, the ESV study Bible was produced, and I was the editor for the Old Testament section of that. Those are some of the, uh, I guess, the most visible things that I've done. Yeah, And no doubt, many people listening to this have been blessed by that work and you know, I, I know myself personally, cre- credible, valuable, valuable tool in my life has been the ESV study Bible. So thank you to you and the team that was a part of that. I've Lo- <coughs> loved cool. that. Uh, great. Well, let's thank get you. let's get into the subject at hand. Um, a- Adam and Eve. This is obviously a topic that, that comes up in the minds of, of many people. Whenever people are grappling through the book of Genesis, uh, whenever I've had conversations with some of my atheist friends about sure. the origins of, of species and the origins sure. of the earth. This frequently comes up, the idea of you know, Adam and Eve. And so um, you wrote a book a couple of years ago, uh, Did Adam and Eve Really Exist? So I'd love to hear from you. Tell us about the book, you know, why you wrote it, and then answer the question for us. Did they really sure. exist? Sure. Well, let me start with the answer. The The, uh, the answer is uh, yes, indeed, and it's very important. Um, so um, uh, just I, I, I want to set everybody at ease who's who's uh, <laughs> listening to, to this. Um, and... Um, so th- there are a number of questions that swirl about. Certainly there are questions that come from the sciences. Um, in, in modern biology, it's assumed that um, you can establish a line of continuity, of biological and genetic continuity between humans and our ancestors uh, so that we would share a common ancestor, say, with the chimpanzees that would go back, say, five or six million years ago. Um, and um, so that... That seems to make it harder in some people's minds to tolerate the biblical idea of the creation of Adam as a, as a special creation. But then also, um, genetic studies uh, seem to be suggesting that you really can't get a single human being at, at, at the very beginning, that we have thousands of ancestors just because of the evolutionary process that's involved. Uh, and so I wanted to look at the science and, and to look at how the Bible would relate to the science um, and and look at what does it mean to read the Bible well, um, and also then what does it mean to read the science well. I, I want to do critical thinking with both of those, both with the biblical material and with the science. Because um, <clears throat> people do things in the name of the sciences that they shouldn't do, just as people do things with the Bible that they really ought not do as well. So that's one factor. Another factor is um, we've um, in the last 150 years we've we've seen a lot of things from the ancient Near Eastern world that uh, writings that remind us a lot of Genesis, and, and most of these come from Mesopotamia, modern day Iraq. 
uh, ancient Babylon and, and Assyria. And so people will say, look, you know, we don't believe these stories. Why should we believe what's in Genesis? Um, and so I wanted to look at, at what's going on with those stories and uh, and so forth. And then, of course, you know, everybody always has the perspective of, I don't care whether Adam and Eve really existed or not. I mean, if they did, they were a long time ago, and that was then, and this is now. Why should I even care? Right. So, um, you know, how can something done so long ago have any bearing on me right here and right now? I wrote the book in 2011, but, you know, but we can say in 2018, what difference does it make? So I, I wanted to be looking at, at all those questions and, and to be taking what I count to be a responsible and careful look at the biblical materials with, with an eye towards answering those kinds of questions. So that's, that's what I set out to do. And it's, that's really fantastic. I, I appreciate, number one, that you're, that you're tackling all the potential uh, assertions that would come from people who would be antagonistic uh, toward the scriptures. And you're not just taking one angle. You're trying to take a more holistic approach to the question of the literal Adam. Right. Right. And so, you know, uh, from the perspective of the, the, of the person who's not fully committed to the scriptures, um, one of the things that, that I want to do is, is help them to see that the stuff that, that he or she realizes about himself and about being human, um, that, you know, you don't really have to argue for, uh, that, that those are, are best explained by the Adam and Eve story in the Bible. So, for example, we, we recognize that, that all human beings, um, uh, you know, re- regardless of their ethnicity, of, of where they come from in the world and so forth, that, that, that we all share properties in common, uh, that we all have language, uh, we all think, uh, you know, just all, all those sorts of things. We can have moral discussions and, and so on. We care about having a community that's founded on principles of, of justice and fairness and of, of decency and charity and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this, th- these are human universals, and, and they're best explained by humans coming from a common source. Uh, similarly, we all have, um, so, so we have that, but we have, and we have these distinctive capacities you know, take language, for example, or, or moral reasoning, that um, <clears throat> that are really different from anything you find in, in the animal world. Um, and, you know, people have said, yeah, well, there's sort of a proto-language in the animal's lip. Well, from a linguistic point of view, there really isn't. But, but, but even, even if there were, it's still not the same as, as what you and I do. Um, I mean, it's a simple fact that um, if... if okay, my kids are going to be very pale, you know, they're going to look very Northern European, and so had, I mean, they, they, they do, I mean, my, my kids are in their 20s, so they, and they haven't changed. Um, so, um, <clears throat> but, but had we, you know, when they were young, had we moved, say, to the middle of Africa uh, to, to be missionaries in a village or something like that, my kids would have grown up speaking the English that my wife and I speak, but also speaking the languages of the village. I mean, and, and there'd be several languages in, in most places in Africa, and they'd speak those as natives. And that's, that's a uniquely human capacity. Um, and every, everything that's ever been tried with a chimp or a gorilla does not work. So, uh, and so, so language, just take language, that, that is a distinctively human capacity. And then we use language to talk about universals like you know uh, truth or the good and the bad and, and so forth so uh, uh, you know the the um, what, what whatever connection we might have with ancestors in the animal world however you want to put that 
uh, you, you would have to acknowledge that something has really happened to produce human beings with the distinctive features that, that we have, uh, the things that the Bible would call the image of God. Um, so, so the Bible isn't asking you to, to uh, come up with something that you hadn't thought of before. It's rather it's putting a name on these things that you've always know, known about yourself anyhow. Uh, and, and then the third thing is that, um, you know, everybody knows that there's something wrong. We have different diagnoses for what's wrong, but w- we say that it's wrong, and we also say that it shouldn't be that way. Uh, and most human cultures have a story of, whether, whether, whether they want to call it a golden era or whatever, where it wasn't that way, and then something changed. Mm. So, um, and so, you know, virtually everybody you'll meet you know, every culture you'll meet has some awareness of this. Well, well, those those three things are are the things that are best explained, I would argue, by the the story in the Bible of Adam and Eve, where you have, you know, the headwaters of the human race uh, as a special creation from God, uh, and where you have an actual fall, where where they disobeyed and brought all of us um, into what we call a condition of sin and misery, but in any case, is is this this wrongness and this alienation, this disorientation that we all experience? So, so what what I would what I would want people who don't, you know, share the a commitment to the Bible to appreciate is that I'm not asking them to um, to deny these you know really fundamental intuitions about themselves and about the world. But uh, what I'm offering them is a story that actually explains those intuitions and affirms those intuitions. And it's really, really great. It's, I mean, so the idea that, uh, number one, you know, regardless of what someone says about the origins of species, we have to come to the, we have to come to the realization that there is something unique about humans compared yeah. to the rest of the animal kingdom. Yeah, right? And multiple absolutely. things, many things unique, not just, you know, one thing, but there, there right. are many things unique about us. Um, <clears> and again, yeah. and you and I would, would, would ascribe to the belief that that's because of the way, the way God created us very differently in his image in a way he didn't do the the rest of the animal kingdom. Yeah. Fantastic. That's great thoughts. So, sorry, continue. Go ahead. And, and so, you you know, just to help people because uh, people are rightly suspicious of, of abuses of power and so forth. And and I'm I'm totally on board with that. So what, what I would say is that, you know, the original created condition with these distinctive capacities were there to enable human beings to to love and cherish the creation rather than to abuse it, and so the fact that humans abuse the creation that's a part of what's wrong. So, yeah. so that that what what um, you know the, the distinctive powers that we have were were supposed to be for the the benefit of the rest of the creation. So you know I I want I would want to add that so that that people wouldn't feel that that somehow you know we have a title just to abuse and destroy the creation, which we don't. Yeah. Which, which ultimately, I think that's a theme I see in Scripture. Anytime someone is given authority or power, it, it is it ought to be for the benefit of those they are to protect, not for their own selfish ambition. Boom, boom. No, uh, ab- absolutely right, and it needs to be said a lot. That's great. Um, so then, the questions that easily come up then, and so we in, in the series we've talked about the uh, you know old Earth creationist view, the gap theories, the historical creationist views, young Earth creation, literal creation. Right. Um, the question that typically comes up, or there's a variety of questions that come up very quickly. So the one that stands out to me, I always want to, I'm always curious, <clears throat> from your perspective, from the scholars you work with, and you work with no doubt, you know, scholars of, of all different, you know, diverse backgrounds. What is right. the, what is, is there a typical view that people hold to 
when it comes to the origins of human species? Yeah. Is there a typical or is it all over the map? Well, uh, most Christians, um, you know, in, in the hit Christians and, and then Jews as well in, in our history have held to an actual Adam and Eve as the literal parents of, of the whole human race. Um, and they, they've usually envisioned their creation as God scooping up loose soil, uh, you know, the, the dust, um, and then for, and then forming them in, into human shape or forming Adam into human shape and, and actually taking a rib and, and so forth and, and making Eve. And so, so most, most of us have envisioned it that way for the entirety of the history of, of people ever reading Genesis, um, in once you start get started getting evolutionary views in the 19th century, um, pe- people were and and I'm talking about people like Benjamin Warfield. So so he's he's the guy that that we look to as as uh, the, the usage of the word inerrancy when applied to the Bible. So I mean he's he's a pretty important figure, and so he noticed that. Um, you know what's what's important is that you have uh, miraculous action on God's part, and and whatever God used for material, you know we we can we, we don't have to be as concerned about that, um, because after all, God didn't make the first humans strictly from nothing; He made them from dust. So, how many intervening stages are there? You know, we we don't need to get hung up about that. So, so Warfield is sometimes called a theistic evolutionist, but that's not actually a good name for, for what he is, unless by evolution you simply mean um, descent with modification. Um, and you don't, make a, you don't care where the modifications came from. Uh, but usually by evolutionist, people mean that it's a purely natural or even undirected process from the beginning right up to us. And so Warfield would, would not have held anything like that. So where, where, where Christians have generally been united is that whatever kind of material process there is, that, that you've got additions to it uh, from God, that you call it miracles or, or special action from God or whatever guidance, whatever word you want to use, in order to get the distinctive human capacities. And so uh, Benjamin Warfield would be an example of a guy who wasn't too worried about whether we have animals in our ancestry, so long as you can affirm that you have extra help from God, you know, in bringing in the modifications to get an actual Adam and Eve. And so an actual Adam and Eve that are, that are the products of God's special action, uh, you know, and an actual Adam and Eve who fell and then brought us in. I mean, that's, that's the important thing for somebody like Warfield. And so... Warfield is probably a minority report in, you know, most evangelicalism today because I think most people still think of of Adam as having been di- made directly from the dust. Uh, but but Warfield's a good indicator that the the material process is not as important as the fact that you have these distinctive capacities produ- produced by special action from God and an actual fall. So and, and uh, so I, I think most people would say, yeah, Warfield's one of us. Most evangelicals would say Warfield is one of us. Um, and so they, uh, what, what I would say is, okay, and let's recognize that Warfield had a view that probably most evangelicals don't share, but, but he's a good indicator on what's really important there. That's a really, that's a really, really good distinction. So the idea that whether, whether God literally is scooping up just dirt yeah, I'm, I'm I'm using very layman's terms, obviously, just sure. just scooping up dirt and transforming that through some miraculous moment, 
and he's turning that into the, the, the human man, Adam, or whether God is, whether there are other stages and, and in the ancestry of Adam were some other creations or creatures that we would call animals. Um, yeah. But at, at the end of the day, the, the, it didn't just happen naturally by itself. And at the, the, the man, Adam, was a literal man. And how he actually came to be or the stages ahead of, before what we know is, you know, in Genesis is maybe not as, maybe not as essential. Is that, is that a- that's right. That's right. And 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 I would say, I mean, it's important, but but when we're saying and and so the way that you said it, not as essential. And 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 I think that Warfield's a good indicator of that. That's good. Uh, so a couple of questions I frequently get when this conversation comes up. I was a youth pastor for yeah. many years. You know, mm-hmm. I, spent, I spent about eight years of my of my twenties in, in youth ministry. So these are the questions you get from teenagers and college students. You're a veteran, then, yeah. <laughs> so you get you get questions like, okay, well, how long ago did Adam live? Is, right. is there a other quality answers to that question? Yeah. Well, um, I, and I, th- I think to, uh, I would my answer would be I really don't know, and I don't think that that it's that important. Um, so, so I'm I'm one of those people who's who does not think that the age of the Earth is a major theological issue, um, and so. Uh, so, so I, I don't think that that Genesis is actually giving us a time scale there. So, um, the uh, <clears throat> what what I would what I would say is that uh, long enough ego, long ago enough. Got to get all those words in the right order there. Um, uh, long enough ago, so that um, he would be at the headwaters of the human race, so that he'd be an actual ancestor of the people, not just in the Middle East, but of the people in Africa, the people in Europe, the people in Asia, the people that came over to the Americas, the people that populated Australia, and so forth. Um, Now, some people have have argued that it's possible for that to have happened as recently as, say, 10,000 B.C., Um, they they might be right, I I mean, I I don't know, But, but most most people who would you know, who study these things anthropologically would notice that you have real changes in the human uh, or in human fossils and in human culture and so forth somewhere between 50,000 years ago and 100,000 years ago, something like that. And, and I, I mean, I, I would let Fazrana of uh, reasons to believe tell you the exact number, but some, some number like that. So it's, you know, it's a long time ago. Um, but, um, that's uh, that's the number that that's bandied about right now. Right. Um, so when you know when I people ask me, I, I kind of like you. I'm relatively agnostic when it comes to the debate of young Earth versus old Earth, or I'm relatively agnostic. Uh, there are things huh? I matter. There, there are certain things that matter to me a lot, like the literal Adam. And so, sure. the, the, and the, the the primary thing that comes up in my mind, more so than how long ago did Adam live, the thing that matters often to me is. And you've already kind of answered this, but just want to make sure it's answered clearly. Is there any human being living on planet Earth today that is not descendant from Adam and Eve? No, no, because, um, well, I mean, theologically, I I would say no, because otherwise they wouldn't be human. I mean, part of what it means to be human is to be a descendant of Adam and Eve. Um, And, you know, people have have proposed various scenarios. um, uh, You know, I'm not going to, I don't really think I should go into them right now, but but in any case, you know, once uh, w- once once you get to like right now, we are all descended from Adam and Eve, and and so we all inherit not simply our distinctive capacities, but our predicament of of being fallen. Mm-hmm. And, and and obviously, I I agree a hundred percent with you. I just think I know sometimes people want to 
did what I just want to make sure we clear that we are on the same page. We believe that every human yeah. being today is we were in Adam, we're fallen, we inherited that same nature, um, and because of that, we need Christ. And this 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 is why I prefer to talk about Adam and Eve at the headwaters of the human race. Um, and and there are those who will suggest that you have Adam and Eve, you know, way downstream from the beginning of the human race. Um, and so how they they would actually have produced a fall that would affect all of humankind is is I mean I, I think that's a difficulty that um, that I I just don't think they can solve it within that particular perspective. Um, I mean, they they can try, and and you know, God bless them in, in, for trying. But, but I, I just think that that would be a a, a real problem. Right. And, and I think the simplest way of reading the Bible is to see. I mean, by the time you get to Genesis ten, which talks about all the families of the earth um, that or the clans, you know, that are scattered about at least the the world so far as an ancient Israelite would have known it, uh, and um, you know, they're all descended from Adam and Eve, um, and. You know, I, I think by extension, we're supposed to think of uh, of all people that we would encounter. I mean, y- you look a little bit different from me, but I can still recognize that you're a human being. That means that you are uh, actually my relative, my brother, because we are both descended from Adam and Eve. And, and I, you know, we want to give full weight to that term, uh, brother and sister in Christ, that that we're we're healing a unity that that has been broken uh, through the mm-hmm. fall of our parents. That's really really great. Okay, so take someone like my perspective. I, I say the Earth is—I you know, don't know how old it is. Maybe my young Earth friends are right, and it's six thousand years old. I don't know. Um, uh-huh. and, but I, for me, I go—I look at the genealogy. In fact, I don't look at Genesis chapter one as my source for the age of the Earth. I think that's—I sure. think mm-hmm. it's poor hermeneutic, in my opinion. Um, but I look at some of the genealogies, whether they be in Genesis or even the Gospels, and I look right. at the genealogies and I try to fit, fit them together. And I think if I hold them really tightly, Adam lived a couple thousand years ago if you know maybe mm-hmm. as much as 10 or 15,000 is is that a is that a is there a flaw in that approach of using the genealogies to kind of put together how long humans have been around yes um so and and we can you mentioned the genealogies in in the gospel so we can start there the genealogy that begins Matthew's gospel very clearly has um omissions in Genesis 5 and 11 and and what you what you have is um uh, a clear evidence from the genealogies in Matthew 5 that saying that someone begat or fathered someone does not mean that someone is the direct, you know, father-to-son ancestor. It just simply means that, that so-and-so produced that person ultimately. And then when you get Genesis 5 and 11, the, their structure is very interesting. They both have exactly 10 generations, uh, and the last generation is a guy that has three sons. So with that, you know, you begin to think that, okay, the ge- the genealogies can be truthful, but they're not aiming to get every generation in there. Um, and why why and is that? What, do you, do, can you speculate as to why the yeah. why that's the case? <clears throat> well, I, I think their main goal is to um, show first of all that there is a, a continuity of descent. Um, you know, so that the people of Israel have this connection with these persons in ancient history. And then they, they basically hit the fast forward. Uh, you know, so you speed up from Adam uh, and, you know, you, you mention very briefly the story of Enoch. Um, then, then you because you really want to get to the story of Noah. The story of Noah is very important, um, both because of the flood, but also because of the sons of God episode and so forth. 
and and part of part of what's going on is is there's an answer to stories that are that are part of the environment. Um, then you get the the Noah story, and you're going to wrap that up. I mean, it's because it's so important, not not simply for the people of Israel, but also it's important in the ancient Near East that flood story. And then you speed up again after the Noah story. Well, well right after the Noah story, you talk about how all these other peoples. Uh, share this common human ancestry with the people of Israel. And then after that, uh, in Genesis 11, you speed up uh, again because you want to get to uh, Abram real quickly. So its main function is is that of fast forward. That's a, that's a great, great uh, response. That's a question people often come up with. Why, why, why do they not have every single person in there? I would assuming it would take many more pages if, every, if it was literally every generation. Well, you know, actually, that, that's, that's a very good way of putting it, um, and, uh, and the way you put it reminds me of what's at the end of John's Gospel, where he tells you that if he'd written down everything that, that Jesus did, uh, that there wouldn't be enough room in the world for all the books. Um, and so, you know, the, the whole idea of being a storyteller is you're being selective. That's great. So the overarching theme, uh, the overarching lesson you've, you've reminded us is, Adam and Eve were two actual human beings. Every human planet Earth today is descendant from them, and that's extremely important because we've in, we've inherited not only the the you know our unique our uniqueness or our distinctives you know the mental faculties that make us uniquely human, but we've also inherited a sinful nature this this predicament as you put it um, yeah. that needs a solution obviously that we find only in Christ. That's right. That's right. Um, last question for you. I know we're way over time. So thank you so much. Um, the last question for you, Romans chapter five, the apostle yes. Paul makes this, this brilliant case where he is, is making the point that, you know, just as the first Adam made some choices that impacted the human race, the second Adam would make choices that would impact the human race. That's mm-hmm. a very, very loose paraphrase, obviously that I just gave. Sure. Um, but, but, uh, what, if you, if you're asked the question, how do you, or how do you respond to the question? How does Romans chapter five matter, or, or how does the, the literal Adam come into play to Romans chapter five, and how does that impact right. the gospel? Right. Well, you know what's what's the, uh, excellent question, um, and and what we what we have to appreciate about uh, what's about Paul's argument Romans five is it's a, is that it's a narrative, which is why the actuality of the persons involved really matters. So you have um, you know somebody did stuff, uh, and you know a- Adam he disobeyed. So somebody did stuff, something happened as a result, and here we are. So uh, Adam uh, disobeyed, and it made all the rest of us sinners. And then somebody else did something, namely Jesus, and, um, and, and something happened, namely it, it made it possible for all of us to be righteous. Um, and so, so the, the narrative and the fact that it's told in a story is, is extremely important, a, sto- a story that, that's about actual persons and events. Um, and so it, it isn't simply, like I could talk about something that Aslan did, uh, and, and you would know that we're talking about the Narnia stories and, uh, or, or something that, that Peter or Edmund did in the Narnia stories, and we, we would know that, that these are just, exemplars and we wouldn't care whether they actually existed we'd know that they didn't and so forth right but 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 i'm not making a narrative that that involves you and me out of what peter and edmund did um and so it's uh what paul is doing is is saying that you and i are heirs of what these people these particular persons have done 
Uh, and so it's it's very important then to appreciate the structure there. By the way, uh, the way that that uh, Paul reads Genesis in Romans chapter five, um, m- many scholars have said that's kind of creative exegesis because Genesis doesn't really say that. But uh, I would argue that, as a matter of fact, Genesis does. There's an Israeli scholar named Meir Sternberg, and and if a person uh, follows the prince, he, he's a, a student of literature and, and has applied his literary expertise to reading the Bible's really really helpful stuff. Uh, and so basically, uh, Paul has has provided a reading of Genesis that is very much in line with the principles that uh, Mayor Sternberg has talked about. Um, and so so what what I've said is that Paul gives us a Sternbergian reading of Genesis, which I think is and and Sternberg, not a Christian at all, is. Offering what he thinks is a natural reading of biblical texts, biblical narratives, uh, and uh, so I've used his principles, and you come up with something that's basically what what Paul has given. So that 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 what Paul is giving us is in fact a very very natural reading of Genesis, uh, and he's not imposing anything on Genesis that isn't already there. And so, the idea for the people of Israel is they re- they know that they're they're being reassured that they are heirs of Adam, Adam, uh, not not simply in terms of their predicament, but also in terms of their calling as Israel to be God's new humanity, uh, and then Christians uh, inherit that uh, that that same uh, calling to be God's new humanity. The image of God is being renewed in us, as mm. Paul says in. Colossians and Ephesians. Uh, and so, you know, uh, we're part of a people for whom these are decisive events. Um, and so that's the, uh, that, that's how uh, the whole thing works, by our membership in this people. Uh, I absolutely uh, – that's so well stated. Dr. Collins, this has been fantastic. I think this is going to be really helpful as people continue to wrestle through some of these things. Um, and so the, the, the book you wrote on this several years ago is uh, Did Adam and Eve Really Exist? And you were mm-hmm. also a contributor on another book. Can you give us uh, just a quick 20-second synopsis of that book, the historical Adam book? Sure. Uh, there are four views on hi- historical Adam. Uh, and uh, so Denny Lamoureux presents an evolution, a purely evolutionary view where there's no uh, historical Adam. John Walton presents what he calls an archetypal Adam view. So Adam is potentially downstream from the beginning. I'm what they're calling the old earth creationist view, namely an actual Adam and Eve, but I don't care how old the earth is. And then Bill Barrick of Master's Seminary is presenting the young earth creationist view. Uh, and so they've they've got us each presenting our view and then interacting with the other views and then responding to the interactions. It was great fun, and, and those were good guys to work with. That's really – that's fantastic. And we'll make sure we have both of those books linked up in the show notes. So anyone listening to this, they can over, head over to our website, theologyfortherestofus.com. Look at the show notes for – interview we've done here with Dr. Collins, and you'll see those, as as well as uh, we'll we'll make sure we link up a few of the other projects you've been a part of in the show notes for this episode. Uh, Dr. Collins... Well, that's fantastic, and and, and by the way, uh, I mean, I'll I'll plug myself, why not? Uh, I have a a book that's coming out later this year, uh, published by Zondervan, uh, and you can find it on uh, Amazon.com already. It's called Reading Genesis Well, Navigating science, history, poetry, and truth in Genesis 1 through 11. And so I, I'm talking about a lot of the issues of what does it mean to be a good reader uh, of this material. And some of it's kind of technical, so I'm not sure if it's exactly for the rest of us, but, you know, 
<laughs> we, we, you, you can manage. You, you have a very intelligent audience because you're a very intelligent guy. Okay. So, well, thank you, uh, Dr. Collins. That's, and we, right. we, and you can, can people already pre-order that book on Amazon, you're saying? They can pre-order it. Fantastic. We'll make sure we'll have that linked up immediately as well. So anyone listening to this, if you want to pre-order that, we encourage you to do that uh, as soon as possible. Dr. Collins, if anyone else wants to follow what you're doing, any other places they can follow, uh, you know, social media or blog or something? Um, well, uh, I, I occasionally post at uh, the Henry Center. The Carl Henry Center is a, a research place at uh, Trinity International University, and they have a an online magazine called Sapientia, uh, S-A-P-I-E-N-T-I-A. And so I, I occasionally contribute posts there. Fantastic. We'll make, again, we'll have that linked up in the show notes as well. Dr. Collins, thank you Super. so much for, for spending time with us. Well, uh, God bless you, and thank you very much. Thank you, sir. And there you have it, my interview with Dr. Collins, a brilliant man, great content. Uh, I love doing the interview, and I really believe that that content will be really helpful to you. Before I let you go, let me draw your attention to uh, one other resource that I think will be helpful, and that is a debate on YouTube that was done between Dr. Collins and Dr. Al Muller, uh, two men that I respect greatly. Al Muller has had a huge impact on my life. If you're not familiar with him, he is a world-renowned, well-respected author and theologian. He is the president of Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, they did a debate, and it is on YouTube. Uh, they talked about the age of the earth, um, how to interpret Genesis 1, origin of species, things of that nature. It is really, really good, really helpful. Uh, these two men, they, they clearly disagree, but they have great respect for one another, and that comes through in the debate. So I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes for this episode. I would encourage you to check that out. It is about, it's about two and a half hours or so, uh, or close to it. So uh, it is long, but it's really, really good. I encourage you to check that out. Uh, in addition to that, I'm going to make sure that I link up everything that Dr. Collins mentioned, the project he's working on, uh, the place where he blogs and writes. I'm going to make sure that all of that is linked up in the show notes for this episode. So head on over to our website, theologyfortherestofus.com. Look at the show notes for this episode 259, and you will see lots of those things linked up there. I'd encourage you to check that out. Uh, the reason I did this episode and I've done this series, because I think these are important topics. And when it comes to the literal Adam, I do think it's important for Christians to understand that there was indeed a real man named Adam. And I want Christians to have, have confidence in that, that there was a real, name, real man named Adam and a real woman named Eve, and that all human beings on planet Earth today, all of us, are descendants of, that, uh, of those two humans. And there are significant theological ramifications because of that. Um, all of us were in Adam. And therefore, all of us are impacted by his choice to sin. We are born with a sinful nature. We are, we are, our, our nature is corrupted because we were in Adam. And all of us have chosen to sin in the same way that Adam chose to sin. However, the gospel tells us that there is a new Adam, a second Adam, a, a better Adam, a greater Adam. And that just like the first Adam made a choice that impacted the entire human race, the second Adam also made a choice that impacts the entire human race. And of course, the second Adam is Jesus. 
And he made the choice to enter into the human story, to lay down his life so that we could be saved, so that we can be reconciled back unto God. Adam made a choice that caused separation between you and God. But Jesus makes a choice which gives you the opportunity to be reconciled back unto God so that you can have friendship with God, so that you can be saved, forgiven of your sin, and be invited to spend eternity with God, delighting in Him, enjoying Him in paradise forever. That is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that although we are sinners, He died for our sins, He rose from the dead, and that if we put faith in Him and in Him alone, we will not be held accountable for our sins, but be rescued. That, my friends, is the gospel. Believe in Jesus, you will be saved. Believe in him, the greater Adam, and you will be invited to delight in God forever. If you have any questions about that or you want to dialogue with someone about that, I would love to hear from you. Shoot me an email. My address is heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. Again, that's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at theologyfortherestofus.com. By the way, if you have a question or a topic that you want me to address on a future episode of the podcast, I'd also love to hear from you. Shoot me an email to that same address. Or you can connect with me on Twitter. I tweet a lot and I love connecting with people there. Shoot me a a message or tweet at me. My Twitter handle is at Kenneth Ortiz. That's K-E-N-N-E-T-H-O-R-T-I-Z. I'm Kenny Ortiz and this has been... Theology for the rest of us.